Welcome to Giving Connected, presented by Paisa Giving. We're happy you're able to join us today. Giving Connected was created to bring awareness to great nonprofits around the country. Hey everybody, we're excited to be joined by the Director of U.S. Operations for El Povenir, Jenna Saldana. Hey Jenna, how's it going? Good, happy to be here, thank you. We're so excited you're here. Um, you know, we have so much to go over and I just want to kind of jump into it. Um, you know, before we get into the the, the nonprofit per se, ha- let's talk a little bit, a little bit about you. Um, where did you grow up? Um, what did you go to school for? I'm originally from Michigan and I studied English literature, which qualified me for nothing. So when the chance to move to Nicaragua came up, I packed up my duffel bags and moved off to Nicaragua. So uh, what was it that took you to Nicaragua, if you don't mind us asking? I had been in Mexico halfway through grad school. I had really thought that I was going to to be a professor. I was going to go on and do my PhD in English literature. And I went to Mexico halfway through that um, through grad school. And Mexico just spoke to me in a certain way. I'm, I'm not sure how it felt more real than all the fiction that I had been studying. And so going back to Latin America had stayed in my mind. So I came back to the U.S., finished my grad school degree and headed off to Nicaragua thinking, oh, it's only a little farther south. How different can it be? It is quite different than Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> that was a learning experience. So did you ever see yourself working for a nonprofit? Is that is, we often have, we ask a question about, you know, when did you see, it was like an epiphany when you had like a moment of this is what I want to do, kind of what I want to work for. Is that something that, that you came upon as well? I think that I was brought up to volunteer. I, my mom was a teacher. I always helped out at her school. I helped other teachers organize their books and do all these different things. I was always the kid in school who helped with whatever needed to get done. I suppose I'm still that way, um, volunteering for things. When I was in college, I worked in AmeriCorps. I ran an after-school program. All of my jobs since graduating have been focused on nonprofits. I think I'm one of those people who feels like we have this short amount of time that we're here and alive, and we should use that time to make the world better. So I think that's just how I've always approached it. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely um, that's definitely something that we hear we hear a lot right i think it's it's something that's so important right um there's so many different places people can go right and work um but it's there's a true selfless nature of kind of working for a nonprofit um we've talked to so many different nonprofit founders and and just leaders um and it's always something that we always see um yeah it's a, it's a recurring theme in every interview we've done that uh like one of the characteristics of the people that we interview that work for nonprofits is they are very selfless and they, they're a giving person. So I remember when I first started with El Porvenir, it was January of 2003. And I went out to a community called Tolinapa. We were building latrines there. And a number of friends here in the U.S. were thinking, what is she doing? She just got her master's degree and she's out doing what? Building latrines? And it was one of those moments in life where I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. It was such an amazing community. The way that we develop projects in Nicaragua is that everyone's involved. And so from, you know, four or five years old, dragging these little bags of sand and sacks for as much as they could carry, the people who were stronger having, you know, larger, um, larger bags of cement that they would haul out there and everybody doing something. It was exactly where I wanted to be. 
took a job working for El Porvenir. And um, can you just tell us uh, what kind of led you to taking that job? Um, you know, how did you hear about uh, El Porvenir? And maybe you can just kind of go into a little bit about that organization and just tell us how you kind of got connected and what led you to work for them actually and take a job with them. Sure. I think prior to working for El Porvenir, I was interested in so many things. I was interested in education. I was interested in immigration. I was interested in so many things. And then I'd been living in Nicaragua for about a year. I had volunteered on an organic farm. I had taught in an American school. I had volunteered in a library that's built on the old dump in Managua, um, which has all kinds of unique health issues. And the job came up with El Porvenir and um, I had heard about it through a listserv. There's a place called the Casa Ben Linder, where a lot of people from other places meet weekly in Nicaragua, in Managua, the capital city. Not anymore, I don't think, but at the time that I lived there. And they had a listserv and had put out this job. So I applied a really difficult interview process. I had so many different interviews with different people to prove I could speak Spanish and I also had to prove I could drive a stick shift because I had to be able to drive a big truck over bumpy roads. And I passed all of that. I put the car in reverse in a stick shift and backed up a hill even. Um, wow. And <laughs> it was perfect. And water is truly, in my opinion, the most important thing you can work on. Every you know, There are lots of nonprofits that jump in at different points. They want to build schools. They want to do economic building opportunities, You know, whatever it is. But really, none of that's going to happen without water. It's our most basic need and is at the core of everything El Porvenir does. So I'm very happy to work in that because I, I do think there's nothing more important than water. No, and completely agree. Um, we had another interview that I think we spoke about before, but um, that kind of focus on it and, and to see the links of what what it can do, right? The, the effects that it can have. If you can get clean water, you can just kind of start a, a new cycle, right? A lot, a lot of it's, people have issues with water and then it kind of folds into everything else. Yeah, it's, um, like a, it's like a chain reaction, you know, if you can provide somebody with something so basic, I mean, the impact that it has beyond yeah. just them is can be seen, you know, and as Joel mentioned, you know, in a previous interview, interview with an organization that also does um, drills wells in uh, poor country, um, you know, they were able to see that real world impact as well. So that's pretty amazing. There's a wonderful graphic in a book called The Bottom Billion that I use a lot. And it shows a stair step of taking people out of poverty. And water's the first step. After water comes sanitation. When you have both of those things, health improves. When you have good health, kids attend school. And when you attend school, your economic opportunities open because you've been able to have an education. So water is really the first step. No, I completely, completely agree. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about El Porvenir, um, kind of why you started and why you joined. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the history of the founding, whenever it was founded, um, kind of who founded it and kind of what was their spark? Sure. So Carol Harper is an administrative law judge in California. She's still on our emeritus board. And I actually was just emailing with her this week. And she was the country director for Nicaragua with Habitat for Humanity back in the 80s. At the time, Habitat has changed since this time. But in the 80s, when Habitat was building houses, they didn't have any water or sanitation facilities that accompanied the houses they were building. Carol Harper, being the kind of person she is, someone who sees a problem and is going to fix it, started El Porvenir to accompany Habitat projects. So in 1989, we did our first four well projects that accompanied Habitat projects. And we did that for the first few years that we followed Habitat. 
not long after getting started, we had so many requests for water projects that we started working on our own. We took on Nicaraguan staff members and just settled into an area called Ciudad Darío, which is in central Nicaragua. And we started doing lots of water projects there. From there, we've grown and expanded out from just water. And that all comes back to our partners in the communities. Community members started saying, the water's important. We do need water, but we also need sanitation. And so that's how we've grown into other areas as well. And, and what other, um, you know, we, we talked about the, the water um, what other programs like do you other cover? Um, kind of say taking out the water aspect. Is there any other programs that you know people were interested in giving or thinking about? Uh, what other kind of programs um, does Upovenir do? Sure. So we're a WASH organization where it stands for water, sanitation, hygiene, education. But we also take it a step farther with watershed restoration. Water and sanitation is definitely our biggest focus. So in that area, we do we we do a few hand dug wells. It's area specific where you can't get a drilling rig in, something like that. We do drilled wells, water systems, spring capture systems. And then in the area of sanitation, we do double pit latrines, poor flush toilets, community wash stations. A lot of people bathe and wash their clothes in rivers. So it's um, creating a place to bathe in privacy and, and have a cleaner place to wash your clothes and also school hand washing facilities. In hygiene education, we are training people on how you store water, how you transport water, the importance of hand washing, as well as how to maintain your project and how you take care of things in general. We have a train the trainers model where we train locals to be hygiene educators in their community. And then the watershed restoration takes it a step farther. It's somewhat short-sighted to go out and drill a whole bunch of wells and assume that that's a long-term solution if you're not looking at the full cycle of water. So what we're looking at is how do you make sure that water is going back into the ground, especially in a country like Nicaragua where deforestation is severe. Nicaragua has lost over 60% of its forest cover just in the last 50 years. So the water is just running off. It takes the topsoil with it. So we are looking at the full cycle of water, aquifer recharge, food security, and it addresses issues of climate change. So we've gotten into more things, but really every program that we're involved in comes back to water. Yeah, no, that's a, I'm sure it's a big enough issue as it is, right? You can you need all the focus on on that. Um, it sure is. How, how does the structure work? Um, so you have you know your base operations in the U.S. and then do you have um, a local team that's in Nicaragua that, you know, that does everything kind of the day to days or do people from, you know, like I know you said you traveled a couple of times, um, do people from the U.S. kind of go there and kind of stay there for locally uh, for time being and help the people, the local residents? So we are a U.S.-based 501c3, but we're also registered as an international nonprofit in Nicaragua. We have a really small team on the U.S. side, um, just three of us that are in employees. And then we have a couple contractors as well that do a few hours here and there. But the bulk of our work, we have 42 staff members in Nicaragua. All but one of them are Nicaraguan. That's something that we're really proud of. There are a lot of organizations that do employ people from other places. Those tend to be short-term employment situations where somebody goes for a year, they go for two years, and you can run into language challenges, you can run into cultural challenges. So we have found that part of the key to our sustainability is having Nicaraguan staff members that we hire from the areas where we work. So we have our headquarters in the capital city, Managua, and then we have six regional offices, mainly in central Nicaragua, like a little bit north of the capital city, but central. 
So I had said earlier that one of the keys to our, to our sustainability is having a Nicaraguan staff, but I think one of the other keys to the sustainability of our program is that any community we work in has invited us to work there. There are people who've already determined what their needs are. They know they need uh, they know they need clean water. They know they need sanitation. They earn anywhere from $35 to maybe $100 per month per family, which is very little. Even some people will say, "Oh, well things cost less in Nicaragua." Yes, in some cases, but still not that little. And they simply don't have the resources to solve the problems that they know they have. So they reach out to us or they've reached out to the local government and said, we need help with this project. And then we go in and say, okay, here's how we work. We do require a portion of the materials to be paid for by the community. It's five to 10% of project materials according to their ability. And they also have to build the project. So sometimes I will talk about El Porvenir projects, but they really belong to the people. The people are paying a portion of it. They're building the projects and they're the ones who will use them and maintain them. Those projects absolutely belong to the community members. They're not ours. So what, what is a life cycle after something does get built? Do you just support, you know, in terms of, any technical support or how, how does that work? Is there more hands-on? We have, we kind of talk about a graduation process. We don't have a good term for it, but what we do is say a project has just completed, then our hygiene educators, we have a hygiene educator in every area that we work in the six regions. They'll check in three months out, six months out, nine months out. If people are doing really well, everything's maintained, everything's clean, everything's working well, then we'll move to six month check-ins. If that's going really well, we'll do a year check-in. So we know all the projects that we've worked in over the last 30 years. We've worked with over 200,000 people. They know how to find us and they can call if they need support, but we've really worked hard on the training part to begin with. On a water system, people are paying for water usage, all the water systems have a water meter. They pay for the water that they use. And the amount they pay is based on the expected maintenance and expected replacement costs of their water system. So the community will have a treasurer. They have a president, a vice, a vice president, a secretary, a treasurer. And the treasurer is collecting that money. They've set up a bank account. And it's working really well. I know it sounds like, oh, is that really... It actually is. In the water systems, they do do this, and then they are able to buy a new electric pump when they need it, to fix piping when they need it. And they'll reach out to us if they need help with the technical side, but they're taking care of their own projects and paying for repairs. Yeah, no, that's um, it's definitely important. As you said, it's not just you know the initial stage, right? It's the, com the process, right, of, of the entire time. Um, so one, one thing that, you know, look into your website and definitely everybody should look look on their website um it's it's alpovenir.org one thing is that i saw service trips of course because covid right now it's not you know no, nothing's can happen right now but in the future when we get back to hopefully to normal how how would a service trip work so when i talked about when i first started working with el porvenir i lived in nicaragua i led the service trips and they are fantastic there are wonderful trips where people from anywhere come to Nicaragua, spend a week to two weeks working directly on a project. It is a chance to see what life in rural Nicaragua is like. Most people come to Nicaragua and they hit a couple spots and they're like, check, I did that country. That's not the heart of Nicaragua. The best parts of Nicaragua are getting out to the countryside, seeing these areas where people are working hard to better their lives, befriending people because you had a chance to work alongside them and working on a project that when it's completed, you know, will improve somebody's life. Right. Yeah. I loved the work that I did leading those trips. I got to show people Nicaragua. 
be their guide and translator, and work directly on life-changing projects. So speaking about, um, you know, service trips and people, obviously in this last year, people haven't been able to come out there because of the pandemic. And, you know, we've seen how the pandemic has impacted so many things throughout um, the world in this past year. But what has been the biggest challenge that El Porvenir has faced, um, you know, in this past year or just in its the lifespan of the organization? And how has COVID impacted you guys specifically? The last year has definitely been challenging. Our workshop program had just restarted in February of last year, and we were starting to see groups come back when the pandemic hit, and we had to close that workshop program again. Nicaragua wasn't affected by COVID until summertime here, kind of June, July. So that's when we really had to pivot. Something I think our Nicaraguan staff does really well is that they'll adapt to whatever happens. So we didn't take away any part of our project. We just added to what we were already doing. We did have to reduce what we were doing in hygiene education because we typically bring groups together and we just weren't able to do that. But the water sanitation and and watersheds work all kept going. And in the midst of that, we really stepped up to get prevention information out there. We for the first time did national TV ads that reached 3 million people in a country of about 6 million people. You know, we were reaching half the country with prevention information. We developed videos that would work for that. We put up posters and stickers and road signs. We distributed 1,800 hand washing stations to people who had nowhere else to wash their hands at a time when that's one of the most important things you should be doing. Um, We're still providing PPE and cleaning supplies and hand-washing supplies to healthcare facilities. So that has has definitely added to our work, but I think that our staff has adapted really well and just taken it on and gotten it done. Aside from that, I would say that our biggest challenge is always funding. The need in Nicaragua is so great. There's so many people in rural Nicaragua. Like where we work, there's the paved roads in Nicaragua. Say you visit the country, you drive down the paved roads, You'll see that people have wells, you'll see that they have water, you'll see that they have latrines. So if you get off the paved roads of Nicaragua, that's where you'll see that people don't have latrines, they don't have access to water. They're ducking through barbed wire to walk to a dirty stream to bring water back. It's backbreaking work, right? It's 40 pounds of water on your head in a bucket and another bucket on your hip. It, it hurts your neck, it causes all kinds of health problems. Those are the people that we're working with and those are the people that we wanna reach with access to water, access to clean water, and sanitation at every household. So have you seen the conditions, you know, improve dramatically through the years you've been there? Is there still a lot of work that's left to be done? Things have been getting better. I was really surprised when I was there in early 2018, where where we work in Nicaragua, you tend to see homes that are made out of available materials, adobe, maybe brick, maybe concrete block. But I had started to see homes that had tile floors instead of just dirt floors. And I was really surprised at how how the, the economies of people in these rural areas were getting better. The last three years in Nicaragua have been challenging. And so where there was progress, um, that economic progress has has. Um, been more restricted in the last few years okay yeah i think that's a um that's always something that we you know it's something that hopefully through the you know the start of it you know maybe there's sometimes it's harder to get into it and kind of formation and and kind of build into it 
um, I can't imagine going into country and kind of, you know, everything you have to go through to, to get into there. But um, on that note, when you do go into country, do you partner with any other organizations? Um, I know we talked a little bit about Habitat, you know, where, where the start came from. But currently, do you work with other organizations within the, within the country or international? We do. We have a lot of partnerships. We think that's really important when we're developing projects. So we always work with the local government. Uh, we work with the Ministry of Health. We work with the Ministry of Environment. And then there's a group called Vresnik. The acronym works better in Spanish. It's the Nicaragua Network of Water and Sanitation Organizations. There's about 40 WASH organizations that are active there. We're currently the treasurer of that organization, but it's a way to network with all these other groups to not duplicate services. And if if anyone has a best practice, they can share it so that everyone can get better by sharing that information. And we we think that's important. Learning is one of our key qualities. We've changed a lot over the years. We used to do all single pit latrines. We learned about double pit latrines. They're more sustainable. They're essentially long-term composting latrines. It's just a better solution. And so when you work with other organizations, you can learn about all those changes and, and get better. And we can all do that together. Yeah, definitely. I think partnering with other organizations that are working in that area and like learning from what they're doing it allows you to grow and kind of expand the reach of what your organization is doing so that's really cool absolutely um so as far as um you know for our listeners as far as for them to be able to get involved uh and kind of partner with you guys what would you say is the best way for um somebody to support um el porvenir um you know and you know what's the best way for them to get involved Sure. I know our name, El Porvenir, is a hard one. Spanish lesson for the day, El Porvenir means the future. Um, we also have the website address epwash.org that will get you to the same elporvenir.org. It'll redirect. So epwash.org. Checking out our website right there on the homepage, you can sign up for our e-newsletter. World Water Day is coming up on March 22nd. So we will be having a World Water Day celebration. We'd love for people to join us on Zoom that day. Later in the year in September, we'll have a virtual walk for water. So that's a wonderful way to walk in solidarity with people who walk for water every day and um, to do that here and, and raise money for people there. But I would say going on our website, learning a travel is allowed. We'd love to have you come visit. Yeah, I know. I know. I'll speak for Prince too. And when, when we get the service trips back, uh, we'll be we'll be the first ones to sign up again. Yeah. So, um, great. That that's something. It's something that you know. Uh, it's something that I think you just you gotta see, right? I think uh, you can describe the conditions, but until someone looks at it and sees, you know, the conditions, it's it's something different. Um, I'll just speak to you know, even when so me and Prince are both Indian from from the southern state of Kerala. Uh, and, you know, our parents have talked about it, but until you see it, right, and see the conditions of how they live, you know, you're, then you know how blessed you are, right? Um, so I think it's one of those things that, you know, look at the website, see their pictures, you know, um, when we were getting a chance, uh, kind of do the service trips and all that as well. But um, so important to kind of um, produce that as well. Yeah. And like speaking more broadly, I mean, through all the interviews we have done and like learning about organizations that impact um, other countries outside of where we are. It's kind of a, one thing it's really done for me is made me realize how privileged we are here in the U.S. I mean, I think sometimes we, there are times people in the, here who live in the U.S. may consider themselves to be not as privileged, but the reality is when you go and look at the living conditions of other countries, I mean, we live in, a lot, a lot of us live in luxury compared to a lot of people yeah. overseas. So I think, you know, if you're able to go online and, um, 
you know, view what the conditions are like there and then see the impact that an organization is making. I mean, it's, uh, it, it kind of inspires you to be able to be, to get more involved and to become more active in impacting change in a positive way beyond just where you're at. I think what's happening in Texas is so relevant right now where people are seeing what it's like to not have water in their home and, and not to undercut the severity of what's happening in Texas. It's very real. It's a disaster. And it's, you know, not having power for days and having pipes burst. Those are problematic things. The difference is that's a, that's a short-term disaster in Texas. Mm -hmm. What's happening in Nicaragua is that people don't have water every single day. So Nicaraguans suffer every day, right? They don't have water every day. And so in Texas, you have a short-term issue that, that will be taken care of. And you see people, you see the local government responding and bringing in water and distributing it. There's still people that aren't reached by some of that, those recovery, um, the recovery support programs that they have. But in Nicaragua, every day people are ducking through barbed wire. They're carrying so much water. Women who are pregnant and who are carrying back this heavy water, they have miscarriages. Women have constant problems with their neck because they've carried so much water on their head, right? Every single day that's happening. And we have to do something globally for the billion people who don't have access to water. And so when we work on a water system and people have water at their home, they can walk right to their door and they have a tap where they can get as much clean water as they can uh, or as they need. They, they, the water systems have inline chlorinators, right? So they have clean treated water right at their doorstep. It makes such a huge difference. And the thing that we hear most from people is that now we are safer. There's a woman named Marta from Waslala who said we are safer. They don't have to walk by themselves long distances for water. They don't have to worry about getting bitten by a dog, bitten by a snake. And the joy that they have, one of my favorite memories of being in Nicaragua is visiting a community where a great grandmother came out and was so proud to show off her latrine. And she knew that her great grandchildren that were babies were always going to grow up with sanitation. She was so proud, so excited because she knows that her great grandchildren are going to be healthier than everyone else that she's, you know, that, you know, her children, her grandchildren, these are life-changing projects and it's it is hard to explain that um if you in seeing it's so different than just me saying the words yeah and i think we talked earlier in the podcast about uh service trips i think you know, everybody should go and do a trip like this where they're able to see firsthand you know the struggles that people in other countries are having where you have access to water and sanitation and somebody else doesn't and i think what you just said um really struck a chord with me uh somebody has to be worried about getting bitten by a snake just to get water and i, I woke up this morning and walked into my bathroom yeah. and got water out of the tap and yeah. like i that's never a concern i have ever had but the reality is there's a lot of people in the world who do have that concern and you know our concern should just go beyond just us here and you know you mentioned the crisis in texas right now um you know like you said that is a serious thing that's happening now but that is a short-term thing because we live in a country that uh, has access to clean fresh water and sanitation and th that's you know that issue that's happening there that will be resolved whereas in nicaragua i mean this is a long-term problem that has happened been going on for so long and it's continuing but if we can make an impact um you know we should do that and it's something that uh you know with in this podcast and we've talked before is you know even with covid you know covid is something that you know a lot of countries are struggling with but 
that doesn't end any of the issues that are already there, right? I think the water is still going to be an issue and the other, you know, not, other nonprofits, they still have the same issues, but on top of that, COVID, you know, related issues as well. So right. um, I think it, it's such a it's such a hard time for a lot of people, but I think um, for those who are listening, even though, you know, people might be struggling here, there's so many good places yeah. to, you know, I mean, spend anything else as well. I mean, if you could put it into, I mean, just put it into perspective, right? Like um, I've heard like even myself at times, like, you know, we'll say like, Oh, what would I do without my phone? But I mean, just think about like, there's, there's somebody somewhere in the world that's thinking like, okay, am I going to have water tomorrow? Am I going to have food? And you know, these basic needs where our greatest concern is, is my internet going to work tomorrow? (laughs) Like, but the reality is, is that a real problem compared to somebody who doesn't have something that they need to sustain life? Um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. So on the note of, um, uh, you know, just getting connected and supporting El Porvenir. Um, obviously, you know, giving and donating is a great way for anybody to be able to assist a or nonprofit organization. And so, um, you know, we'd like to give our listeners an insight into how they can donate to El Porvenir and kind of give them an idea of like, what is, how can they expect their funds to be used? You know, if, if I'm donating a hundred dollars, what does that, that money actually go towards? Sure. One of the easiest ways to think about $100 is that it costs a dollar to plant and nurture a tree. So $100 can plant 100 trees and nurture them. It's not enough to just stick the tree in the ground and assume it's fine. The first couple of years, you have to take care of them. You have to water them. Um, so with a school hand washing station, I was doing the math on a particular school that had 50 students that attended there. And I broke it down into, okay, this is the cost of the hand washing station. And how much does it cost per student? And it came out to what I spend per week on school lunches for my kids here in the US. So for the cost of one week of school lunches per child at this school, you can provide a school hand washing station where they can wash their hands after they use a latrine. They can wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. There are such affordable projects that $100 really has a big impact. We are a four-star rated charity on Charity Navigator as well. That's the highest rating they give. We have a gold seal of transparency with GuideStar. Those things are really important to us. Our financials are all listed on our website and we always welcome people to reach out. You know, our contact information is there too. You can call us, you can email us and we'll answer any questions. One great story, if you don't mind, on someone recently found us on Charity Navigator, had never given to us before called us. This doesn't happen that often. Usually people email anymore, right? But this is um, someone here where I near where I live called us. He wanted to hear our voices, to hear if we sounded genuine, asked me a lot of good questions. Things like, if your mom asked you if she should give to El Porvenir, what would you say? I said, that's easy. My mom's a major donor. Um, and in the end, he made a you know, a five figure gift to us as a first time gift, because he talked with me, I'll answer any question. I'll tell you what we're going to do. And we absolutely honor donor intention. And we strive to be as transparent as we can. We'll, we'll answer anything we're audited. Um, And the impact of a small gift is really significant in the type of projects that we build. Yeah, and that's a great way to, the, what you said was to visualize it, right, what you're going to give to and you kind of see it, um, you know, we've talked about it a lot in the past, um, but it's always it's always nice when you can see it, um, what your gift is actually going to and um, and if it's, it's okay with you, we can put your contact inf- information in the description so people do want to reach out to her, ask her any questions specifically, um, you know, if they want to talk about a specific program or, or what's used, um, I mean, that's, that would be 
uh, definitely awesome. The last question that we have, um, you know, thinking about El Porvenir when it started, you know, throughout the years, um, how has the mission changed throughout the years? Um, has it been more refined? And what does the future kind of look like? The main way that we've changed is that we did all water projects at the beginning, and then our community partners asked us for support with with sanitation, so we expanded. And then what we noticed as we got into the late 90s was that water tables were dropping and deforestation was increasing across Nicaragua. So that's when we transitioned into doing watershed restoration as well. I didn't mention that we do fuel-efficient stoves also. That program, the stoves use 60% less firewood, and it vents out harmful smoke. The World Health Organization says that the smoky cook stoves that people use in so many places around the world are like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, so that's part of the watershed program too. But we've expanded into other areas, but always coming back to to water. What the future looks like, we're really excited that one of the one of the regions that we work in is almost done. We've achieved access to water and sanitation for everyone who wants it there. We look at a 95% coverage rate because it, our model depends on people coming and asking us for support. And we've achieved that. And so we'll be closing out of that area. This is our last year of project development there. And we see on the horizon that we have two more that are about to wrap up in the next couple of years. So we're so excited to see universal access achieved in regions, and that will allow us to move into other areas. We'll either deepen our investment in the other areas where we work to get done as soon as possible, or we'll be expanding and opening new offices. The, the board and our executive director are actively having that conversation, which is a fun and exciting conversation to be part of. Yeah, definitely. I think to be able to wrap up a project is really cool, but also to see growth out of finishing and completing projects is also really, really amazing. So that's really great. Um, so obviously, you know, as Joel mentioned, we're going to have uh, contacts, uh, the links to your website and contact information in the description of our podcast. So for those of you who are listening, if you want to get in touch with them or be able to learn more about it or even just donate and support their cause, um, you're going to be able to do that. Um and uh, Jenna, we just want to thank you for the time you took to just talk to us and just share with us the mission and what you're passionate about. I mean, it's pretty amazing to be able to learn about these organizations and to be able to share with the world, um, you know, something that is so impactful and a need that uh, we should all be caring and concerned about. Thank you so much for having us, for inviting us to be part of this and, and for enthusiastically supporting our cause. We just want to thank you for taking the time to join us and listen. We'll have links to the webpage and social media for Alpo Veneer in the description of this podcast. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to Giving Connected and follow our Pisa Giving social media page to hear about more nonprofits that we interview in the future. If you want to get in touch with Giving Connected directly, you can find our contact information in the description below. We're excited for our conversation next week with Global Links. You can find that podcast available next Monday. This has been Prince and Joel with Giving Connected.